Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast, where we talk about all things OCD. The show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace professional mental health care. Here's your host, Christina Orlova. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast, and today I have a very special guest, Dr. Jonathan Grayson. He's a licensed psychologist and has been specializing in treatment of obsessive-compulsive disorder for more than 35 years, guys. Um, He's a nationally recognized expert. He was the first person in the nation to actually start an OCD support group, and he wrote the book Freedom from Obsessive-Compulsive Disorder, which I actually own myself, and um, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. The only mistake is it's more than 35 now. That's a, that's an old intro. I think we're we're crossing 40 now. Wow. So even better. I think it's <laughs> awesome to have um to have we were actually just chatting a little bit before this in terms of you know being in the field and 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 working with OCD specifically for, for a lifetime, basically, and, and just how basically, incredible yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, so thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, I, uh, so typically the way I like to do this is I love to jump in and, and ask a couple of questions. Um, and usually they're questions that I know that the audience struggles with or really wants to know about. So for today, um, you know, my first question to you would be oftentimes people with OCD, when they think about recovery, when they think about, is it impossible? You know, they oftentimes hear things like OCD is chronic, um, it never goes away. And so they can get really stuck on that notion. And this whole concept of recovery seems to sometimes escape folks, or they might not really quite see or recognize how it's possible. So I was wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit to us about um, how can someone, how, how else can they think about recovering OCD, especially if they're thinking that notion like, oh, well, it's chronic, it never goes away. Yeah. Well, to say that if you have OCD, you always have OCD is a lot different than saying you're always going to be tortured by OCD. So I think recovery has to, and somebody once said, it was a client, um, I didn't get to choose whether or not I had OCD, but I do get to choose what I do about it. So I think recovery is learning how to cope with it and learning how to make it so that it is not a major part of your life. I do think, you know, people will slip and slipping doesn't mean you have to go back to the hell that you're into the worst. It means, okay, I have to do some work and, and pull out of that. Sometimes it's a few hours. Sometimes it could be a few days, you know, sometimes it could be your fault because you're not perfect. Um, but basically having most of your life pretty free of it. So um, that's not as good as it disappears and completely gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, having a life where I'm basically free and, and uh, you know, I think people are always shocked early in recovery when they have days where it's like, wait, that used to bother me. And I didn't even think about it because I, I think I almost expect to be like, it won't bother me, but I'm always going to remember that was a thing. You know, like I, it's like, wait, I, I didn't even think about it. So I think recovery from that way is, is true. You know, so the, the chronic part is, yes, you actually do have OCD, but that doesn't mean you have to be ruled by OCD. Yeah, that's actually a really great distinction, um, as you said, that because I, I certainly definitely, I mean, I, I know a lot of people, they get stuck on that notion. And even though, like you said, you may still have it, but the difference is how you handle it and and because of how you respond to it, how you're able to then kind of re-engage with your life again, right? Which obviously organically will have triggers and 
like organic right. exposures, basically. Cause I mean, I think just even living and doing what you like to do in itself, like, well, you're kind of going to be exposed. Yes. Yes. Living is an exposure. <laughs> um, so I have another question, which is <clears throat> sometimes people find themselves really being unmotivated and this comes up in a couple of different ways. It can be where either they're too scared initially to maybe even try treatment or it might be maybe they're doing it and like they're aware and they know what they need to do, but they still almost like find comfort or it's almost like it's like the compulsions are too familiar and, and they're just having a hard time letting go of it. So maybe it's kind of a two part question. Um, what are some thoughts you have on that? I have three sets of thoughts. One of them, except it would take about three and a half or four minutes is no, I had a client recently write about this and I mm. could read She gave me permission to share it so I could read what she wrote. Mm. I mean, certainly the way ERP is described, it can sound terrifying, mm-hmm. you know, and, and even when people talk to me, you know, I'm always like, you're going to make me do something. I was like, I'm not going to make you do anything. I actually tell clients, I do not want you to do anything that I tell you to do (laughs) unless I have convinced you. So I'd rather have you argue with me than doing that. And most people find that easy to go along with. Mm -hmm. Um, I do point out I'm a professional nag. So, you know, arguing with me is not easy, but I'm not going to make them do it. So I think the image that ERP gets is often very scary. Mm -hmm. I think the other major issue, which is a core issue for me and the core like uh, campaign that I'm constantly on, which has to do with people not being properly prepared for treatment. Hmm. And in a very simple way, you know, as, as you probably know, for me, I believe that the core of almost all OCD presentations is an intolerance of uncertainty, right? In the area where I have my problem, I want to be 100% certain. And research has shown us that the only people who are 100% certain are stupid. People with OCD tend to be really smart, so we can't help them be absolutely certain. And it is scary to decide that I'm going to live in a world where I'm going to cope with uncertainty. Because mm-hmm. to cope with uncertainty is to say the worst might happen. And my answer is I will try to cope with it, whatever it is. And for many people, it's like, no, the worst can't happen. No, no. Right. But the fact is everybody knows that it can. It may be low or high probability, but it is still possible to happen. You know, I mean, imagine you and I, we could be living in a world where everything is going pretty well, you know, where our lives are real happy. And like out of the blue, as if almost overnight, a worldwide pandemic hits, right? That stuff doesn't happen, but it happens. Right. So living with, you know, and so the, the question for, for clients and the question for professionals is, why would I take this risk? You know, because the person has to be convinced that this makes sense for them. And, you know, with regard to professionals, I think the thing that's upsetting is a lot of them treat it as a very intellectual question, you know, as if like, well, you know, it just makes perfect sense. You would need to do this because you want to get better. 
but that's crazy because a lot of the OC risks, I mean, some of them aren't so bad. You know, I'm checking maybe my car will get stolen. Well, you know what? I think I'd rather have my car stolen if I could be free of OCD. But when I'm worried, you know, am I a pedophile? Am I going to kill my spouse and all those? That seems like a bigger risk. And, and so I think that for the therapist, what I ask therapists to do is when you're trying to convince somebody of this, you have to understand what a real risk is. And what I'll ask them is imagine I have a gun with a thousand chambers. One chamber has got a bullet, 999 chambers have $50 million. Will you aim this at your kid? And I was like, nope, nope, okay, 10,000 chambers. One in 10,000 chance of killing them, 9,990, and no. How about a, one in 100,000? Because let's face it, as parents, we probably do a bunch of things with our kids, but that put them at that level of risk and nobody wants to pull the trigger. You're talking to somebody with OCD, that's how serious you have to be about what are you offering as why you would take this risk. And I think when we approach it from that way, um, treatment works a lot better and it, and it has to do a lot with motivation. When I am supervising therapists, it is the most common problem I run into where they tell me about the treatment they do and they're having trouble and it's like, oh, they haven't actually agreed to treatment yet. You know, they want to be with you, but they actually haven't agreed they are willing to take that risk. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there are some great reasons. And they, but I think, you know, in general, some of the good reasons, one is you have no choice. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're afraid of might happen, whether it's low or high probability. Your rituals probably don't work anyway. So you're doing a lot of hell for nothing. And three, how are you hurting yourself and your family? Because, you know, the terrible thing might happen, whether you do this or not, but if you're going to give into OCD, you are hurting them and you're missing life. And so kind of have the only thing we can, which is the present, is, is like the reason to do treatment. Giving up that control is terrifying. The idea that I should, you know, I, it's, um, you know, people talk about acceptance and it's like this nice little happy, easy, you know, Zen thing with acceptance. The truth that people need to understand is acceptance sucks. Mm-hmm. The first acceptance always seems like you're asking me to live the second best life. In reality, it's not the second best life, but compared to the fantasy you have, absolutely. Right. And this is way better than reality always, but it does have the trouble of never being real. So I think we can, I think people can, can be motivated. Um, I really won't let people start the ERP part till we, till I get to that. Many people, that's a session or two, but other people it's like three months. So, you know, what is it going to take for them to decide that there is, you know, that they have no choice from their perspective of, you know, either take this risk and have a life or not take this risk, have no life, and your worst fears can happen anyway. So is that something in terms of like when you're thinking of through, let's say somebody who's done treatment, who's implemented tool strategies, who's had that taste, like where it's, it's like I see their freedom, I see that I'm able to do so many more things, but let's say they suddenly get stuck again and they understand logically, like, I know what I should be doing, right? I get what I, like, I remember that when I did it, I was better and I know I should be doing it, but they keep not. Um, well, yeah, and, you know, I would have a lot of questions 
you know, when did they happen to stop medication? Um, which case it's like, why did you do that? But um, yeah, some people need boosters. Some people, you know, and we, we encourage people to always try to be doing something with regard to relapse prevention. Mm-hmm. People aren't perfect, so they won't. Some people forget how hard it was. That is, they're doing well, and when they're redoing treatment, it's really hard. And and like it, it's kind of odd that I have to remind them, don't you remember? And you know, reminding them all the ways that it was really painful and difficult, um, which is actually kind of hopeful because it's like, oh, okay, like how did I do this before? It was really a lot of work. Disappointing, but you know, so you know, but but the slipping is really critically important because people will either have something happen and they slip all at once, you know, and like in a giant big slip. And, you know, if they do ERP, they'll get out of it quicker, but how quick is variable. And one would wish like, hey, you know, after a week, why don't you get help? Why are you going to wait five months? The other ways people, you know, do it very gradually, insidiously, you know, they just do a little more rituals here and a little more there. Hey, you know, one ritual day is nothing compared to before. And like a diet, You know, it's like you go on the diet at three pounds overweight or 100 pounds. The positive thing is you can always lose the weight. It's just a lot more work at 100. So, yeah, we encourage people to try to stay connected, you know, to the community. And and the one plus of the pandemic is that uh, this podcast and a whole bunch of other resources exist that people can access on a regular basis. And so that the community is now... You know, more than a once a year convention that IOCDF has that's impossible to get to, you know, if you don't have money. But now there's a virtual one and now there's stuff literally every week. So there's a way to be in contact with other sufferers. So it's uh, one plus the pandemic. Yeah. And that actually sounds like a great um, also just suggestion in terms of for anybody dealing with OCD, like you don't have to be alone 100 percent. You can definitely plug into a community of folks and, you know, find other people to talk to, to connect with, to help you get motivated. Um, yeah. So um, I have another follow-up question for you, which is on still the topic of motivation, because I know that I definitely get this a lot. Um, and I know a lot of folks have also written around it, which is basically people always want to know kind of like, what's the tool, right? What's the strategy? What's something I can use um, to help me get motivated? I certainly have kind of my response to that, but I was curious to know, like, well, how would you... I I know I shouldn't ask you, because I'm supposed to answer this. I am kind of curious to know what yours is. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean... What do you do, do, Christina? (laughs) I specialize in OCD and anxiety disorders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I definitely tell people that, you know, one of the best ways to get motivated is you know, oftentimes we want to kind of get away from pain and get towards pleasure. So it's kind of like reconnecting to your biggest why, like, like, why did you start this in the first place? Like how, how bad does it have to get before you have to do something about something? Because oftentimes humans are not just, are not going to seek something out unless it's really um, connected like, to them. like the short run. Yeah. We want something quick and easy. Give me that, give me that magic button that I can just call it a day and be, be, have it be over with. Um, so I think part of motivation in terms of what I tell folks is that there's no magic solution, but it is important to connect to your why and remember your why, like, what is it that you're wanting and why is that really, really important for you? What are you fighting for? 
Um, that's kind of one of my, yeah, my I, answers. I have, two, I have two forms in my, in my book uh, that I call ERP motivators. Mm-hmm. I would tell you the website they're available at, but the website's currently down and it's not fixed yet. So I believe it'll be fixed within two to three weeks, but. Um, yeah. And I actually do know those, uh, those um, ERP motivators forms. you have. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And, and one set of sheets has a bunch of questions of like, what have you lost to OCD? And it has some suggestions, but it's not like, oh, I lost time. The, the thing I would like somebody to do is write down your most painful, humiliating, horrible experiences. You know, what OCD, you know, to say it's taken time isn't to really remember everything I've lost. Then the other form is how have you hurt your family with OCD, you yeah. know, and by not being present, by yelling and all those things you've done uh, to kind of be in contact of all I lost. And then who's the person you want to be and what would you, you know, how, how, how would being free of OCD get you to be closer to that? You know, because I think anybody with OCD knows that, um, I think anybody who's been in recovery knows that there's a world of like pretty good things out there that OCD blocks from that from them. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way, OCD is like not so much this horrible set of symptoms and, um, you know, things that you spend on time. It's kind of a thing that stands between you and everything in life that takes it all away and, and just like saps it of all meaning. And so there are pleasures in front of you in a life to live. And we're offering you that. You know, that you can have that. And, uh, you know, and I think I think the night, you know, the thing about being groups and talking that there are a lot of people who've recovered from OCD. So it's not like you're somehow worse and different, you know, and some of the people who've recovered from OCD have had. At the at their worst among the worst cases, you know, completely disabled and not functioning at all for many years and not having had a real childhood or adolescence and even those people recover. So we're asking people, we'd like you to be like them so you can have a life. Yeah. You know, you mentioned a letter that a client wrote and that you were allowed to share. I'm wondering if Perhaps because I'm pretty sure anybody listening is going to be thinking, oh, what about that letter he mentioned? Because I know I certainly would be curious if I was listening. Um, so if you if you could possibly share that with us, that would be amazing. I will share it. It's a little bit long. And I want to just say two things. I mean, the, the, the subject I had asked her to write about was, uh, why do you want to cope with the fact that horrible things are possible? Because... Mm-hmm. She really had trouble accepting that anything bad could happen and all OCD was trying to prevent all horrible things. And by the way, her first answer to that question was like, yeah, I don't want that. <laughs> and the other thing I want to mention is there are a few times in this that she mentions God and her faith in God. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to mention that this person had scrupulosity mm-hmm. also. So when she talks about God, she's actually in a recovered OCD kind of way, meaning it's not like she just has a nice, simple, clear, wonderful faith that anybody would want to have that there's a God. She's like, I don't know what the nature of God is right. I don't know which God is right. You know, I'm going to choose to believe in the God that makes sense to me, even though I might just be doing that for convenience because it's the only God that I can 
it's a God I can love and follow and be inspired by rather than fear. So even though she's talking about faith, it's a, it's kind of an, you know, accepting OCD kind of version. Hmm. So um, since you've asked, I will start reading this. Yes, please. Why do I want to cope with the fact that horrible things are possible? In a nutshell, for freedom from OCD, OCD has served me as a way to cope with the fact that the world we live in is an uncertain and at times a scary place. It has falsely led me to believe that I have control over whether or not bad things happen depending upon the compulsions I perform, which are the result of my intrusive thoughts and fears. As someone who longs to live in a world where I have peace, safety, calm, and comfort for myself, my family, and for all human beings, the unsettling realities of our fallen world have been, to me, intolerable. Yet OCD has brought me and those who love me tremendous pain. So much life has been lost to disorder, to my wrestling, to bring order and certainty to a scary and certain life. An intrusive thought pops up that X could happen, and OCD responds with made-up compulsions that will stop the bad things from happening. Better yet, OCD asks, why not avoid 80% of life so that the bad thing cannot happen? This brings a false sense of security and a fake peace. Why? Because we don't know if our compulsions even work, and who knows, they could make things worse. Because the compulsions are never enough, the temporary relief we get from neutralizing thoughts or anxiety is momentary. And shortly after, whether it be seconds, minutes, hours, or days later, the thought comes back, and so the compulsions begin again in three the more we do compulsions, the more the obsession comes up, the more attention I give to OCD, the louder, more frequent and bigger it gets. It is a cruel and painful disease, one that is never satiated, but as though we unfortunately feed for our desire for safety and certitude, even if, even if that's useless. Where I'm at in my treatment has led me to a tipping point. Going one way, it would have me staying in the false comfort that OCD brings, grasping desperately to control my world. Going the other way, I'm led to uh, feel the fear, tolerate uncertainty, and live life according to my values anyway kind of life. There's a hint of freedom in sight, and I can almost touch it. Treatment has shown a spotlight on my desperate attempts to try and stop bad things from happening, and on my intense rituals of trying to keep me and everyone around me safe. Treatment has thrown me into a place where I have to, where I have to stare in the face of the stark reality. There is no certainty in life and that bad things may happen. The illusion of OCD has been crushed, and yet it almost crushes me. The feeling is too hard to put into words. It is a feeling of sheer terror, like falling into a black hole with some grabbing for something to hold on to. The denial that horrible things are possible is being ripped away. The illusion of control is shattered. It is painful. It is scary. It feels intolerable. And yet... I have no choice but to choose to cope with this reality. I either let OCD be in the driving seat of my life until my life is reduced to a sad, painful existence of compulsions and avoidance in which I desperately clutch for a sense of control for complete and other safety, or I lean into the uncertainty of life, let go of my messy grasp of control and live life in the present moment according to my values because the present moment is all I have. All that I have are the odds. I have a good faith that I'm protected by the God I choose to believe in. But God is still a mystery. Bad things happen to good people. And I do not think we will know this side of heaven why. Maybe we will never know why. And yet, 
despite being confronted by this reality of life, despite the soul-crushing effects of OCD being so obvious to me now, I can feel the familiar seduction of OCD trying to get me to grip onto control. This is where the tipping point wobbles. Which way will I go? OCD is still trying to convince me that if I just do X compulsion or Y compulsion, I can prevent bad things from happening. It is especially strong for my worst fears because our obsessions seem to latch on to things I most care about, like the safety of my loved ones. All of the things I might, I am scared of might happen. And once this is a hard concept to tolerate, there is no certainty that the things I'm scared of cannot happen, even if I think the chance is near zero. This is induces terror, but there's actually nothing I can do to have certainty. Well, some things have a near zero chance of happening. I still do not know for certain. I just have the odds. I don't want to admit I can't get the certainty that none of my fears will happen. Even writing this prompts the compulsion to not write about this. Because what am I writing about the possibility of bad things happening or that there's no certainty my worst fears can't happen? Makes them happen. And this is where the pain of OCD lies. We can never get certainty. All we can do is choose to turn down the dial of OCD noise by not giving it our attention. Take the chance that it is in fact OCD, tolerate uncertainty and know, and learn to know that our compulsions cannot keep us 100% safe. They are an illusion. I don't think I'll ever get to a place where I don't care if bad things happen, especially when it comes to my worst fears, because I will always care. Frankly, I think it would be weird and strange if I didn't care. It is natural to want to be safe and protect your loved ones and those around you. But we have to get to a place where we do not let the chance of something bad happening, whether that chance be high or low, stop us from living a full life and letting our families live full lives too. Unfortunately, our yearning for a perfectly safe life in which nothing bad ever happens is an illusion. Our compulsions are an illusion. I personally think we long for a safe world where all is well because I think it is a world God created before mankind fell, and we long to see things made new and for all pain to be gone. Until that time, we have to learn to accept, tolerate, and cope with the fact that horrible things are possible, and we have little or no control over this. It is really terrifying, but we can rest assured that we will cope with them if they ever arise. If you have faith, you can rest assured that God will be with us to do whatever his will is in that situation. And if you have scrupulosity like me, even that is uncertain. Because about a thousand thoughts pop up about what that even means. Maybe God will protect us and maybe he won't. All I can do is trust the God I've chosen and trust that he is right because he is God. All I can do is get up each day and hope and pray for the best. I choose to live in the present moment, soaking up the joy I do have and not letting OCD steal attention from the joy I have right in front of me. The amount of life lost trying to make bad, make sure bad things don't happen and to be 100% safe is too painful to think about. I choose to tolerate uncertainty and I choose to cope with the fact that bad things are possible. I tolerate my anxiety and my terror when it pops up rather than giving into the illusion of safety that compulsions bring. And I move forward with my life choosing to live my values for several reasons. One, because I have no choice. Two, we are braver than we think we are. Three, because we want to live the most full, free, and joyful life possible with the time we have and refuse to waste our time giving attention to obsessions and compulsions that will never bring what we desire, complete safety and certitude. 
we are called to love God and love our neighbor. How can we really do this when day to day we are giving OCD more time and attention than we give to our God, to our loved ones, and to our neighbors? We might think we are doing it to love them better, but actually it is an illusion. They deserve better. The woman I want to be, I bet she is not afraid. And she, with support from God, can cope with whatever might happen. Freedom. I can feel the fear and yet still choose to live and enjoy life from my values instead of my fears. Beautifully written. Wow. There's a lot of powerful stuff in there. Yes, she, she was quite amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, one and one thing just before you go on, what I like about what she wrote. What's so real about it, she's writing about something hard. It's not like, oh, I just did exposure and I did it. You know, she's talking about the struggle. And, and you know, at, at points, I think one could listen and become discouraged. And yet within what she's writing, it's like there's that hope and spirit that comes through that, you know, she's going to make this choice. She's not going to have her life stolen from her. I mean, literally, this is like ending on such a poignant note, you know, um, I actually usually like to ask at the end, you know, what's a message of inspiration or hope that you'd like to leave listeners with? Um, so, I mean, you just read this and it's such a like, wow, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you that question. What would you like to leave our listeners with in terms of, you know, hope and inspiration? Um, yeah. Something that I say that many people think is just the line that I'm saying, but I mean it so dead seriously. And I think the pandemic has shown this because I know that for my clients and my colleagues' clients who did well in treatment, treated the pandemic in the way that was uh, better than their families. If you overcome OCD, you will not be normal. <laughs> you will be better than normal because the average person doesn't really deal that well with uncertainty, which the pandemic showed. And so there is nothing, you know, coping with uncertainty, it's not just for OCD, it is everything in life. We know nothing, everything is a guess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having OCD puts you in this very odd position. You would like to do denial like everybody else, but you're too smart. So you get heaven or hell. Well, you've tried hell. I'm suggesting be part of one of the few who actually copes with uncertainty because you can. Beautifully said. And how can people find you if they would like to connect with you? Um, I mean, I have a website. Yeah, a website that, you know, laocdtreatment.com. Um would be would be one place yeah would be the place that they could get in contact with me yeah and i'm also going to include the link to your book thank you absolutely thank you so much for coming on the show for sharing that letter and your words of wisdom of doing this for so long <laughs> thank you very much for having me it was a absolutely. pleasure absolutely thank you for listening to ocd whisperer podcast to get additional support with OCD and have your personal questions answered, whether you are newly diagnosed, got through treatment and need help maintaining progress, or you can't afford treatment, 
Visit Christina's on-demand Mastering OCD membership at MasteringOCD.com. 